revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who see what is written in it, for the time is near. John, the seven churches that are in Asia, grace you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the king's house. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest, who is God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see, even those who pierce him, and all tribes of the earth will wail and cry. So shall it be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Again, our God, we come thankful, even for our opportunity to bring you glory through worship so far in our one hour together. We thank you again for hearing prayers. We thank you for Christ, who is our advocate, our mediator, the righteous one. We thank you for your good publication, your gospel, your news that you shared with these who have gathered here, that we have received that through faith and rest in Christ for its fulfillment. As we await the coming day of your day, for your glory and to your name, as we await the coming day, we, we embrace that indeed that is a real day. And it, it is coming. And we, the church of Jesus Christ, are here to say, so shall it be. Amen. Now, Lord, we just, as we look to your word, we wish to be nourished and strengthened and planted and established in truth, so that our hearts are once again calibrated rightly. And your Holy Spirit will continue in our body and in our individual life, producing the fruit that will bring us great joy and peace, hope in our own lives, individually and in our church and in our world. Bless this time in your word. Be glorified. And what is said and what is taught, how we receive it, how we act for the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Looking forward to our pulpit ministry. We'll be bouncing back and forth between two series. I'll be handling the letter to the seven churches in Revelation. So I'll take a few weeks from that. And then uh, Pastor Adam will be in the Old Testament in the book of Esther. And so we'll be moving back and forth between those two over this next season. Trust the Lord to use it mightily in the life of our church. <clears throat> As we look at the letters to the seven churches, we're going to take a couple weeks before we get there and look at chapter 1 of Revelation and set the context for us. Revelation is written for a church that is under attack. Primarily, you see it in the end of the book, it is under attack from that ancient one that is the serpent, 
the devil, Satan. But the attack also comes in different ways. We see it. It comes through the attack of idolatry. Often we think about idolatry in uh, some maybe very formal way of kneeling down before a, a golden image and worshiping in that way. But idolatry is really <clears throat> any time, anything that takes the throne of your heart in any area over the Lord. That what becomes your motivation and your treasure, what guides and directs your life can become an idol. And it replaces God, whether uh, just on purpose or by accident, it replaces God on the throne of your heart in a specific area. We're under attack often just from our own flesh. The sin principle that resides within. You know, I think the churches in Asia who John is writing to, I think the church now, as we think of ourselves, the main attack is just comes from the accumulation of stuff. Good things, hard things, difficult things, just life as it is in front of you, the accumulation of difficulty, of distraction, of responsibility. It gets piled up in our life and becomes an obstacle to our endurance. An obstacle to our overcoming. We forget that our citizenship belongs to a heavenly kingdom and our allegiance to a heavenly king because we don't necessarily see him. We don't feel his presence necessarily day to day, but we see all the other responsibilities. You see that by Friday, you have a stack of work that you need to get done, that you need to hand in to your boss. You see that pile of laundry that just never gets done. You do it and it's there. You do it and it's there. You see the empty fridge and you know you got to go spend a fortune on groceries and you've got to uh, make another meal. And, and, and where is that coming from? And the planning for that. You sit down, you put your budget together, the next morning your car doesn't start, your insurance, your, your taxes are due, and things just accumulate, let alone now you have relationships, now you have difficulty, and in comes some sorrow and some frustration, and in comes some goals and, and, and some uh, pleasure and entertainment and things you go after, and just the accumulation of stuff. See, that's what you see. That's what's right in front of you. That's what, that is what captures your, your attention and pretty soon your heart. And it can be hard to endure in the face. Not helping that is that I don't pretend that America is, is deeply persecuted or anything like that. There are places in the world where people are persecuted, where their safety is at risk for their Christian faith. That stands in the way of their endurance. But for us, for the church, there is some sense when you look at the trend of things, of, of cultural marginalization, of being somewhat on the fringes, societally, not taken seriously. And that starts to weigh upon you. And then you look at this Christian call to, to live as Christ, to die again, to, to love others, to love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind, to love others of yourself. 
to put the needs of others above your own. And you think, how do I endure in that? And just the daily life of getting through the day and its goodness and its hard things and its frustration and all that piles up. And then on top of that, what tends to be the answer from many churches, from many speakers, is instead of giving to you a robust view of God and the glory of the gospel and alternative passion for you to pursue, instead it starts dumbing things down to make it a little easier for you. And the word becomes a little just maybe more therapeutic to make you feel a little better, to, to, to help you out. It, it becomes a checklist of things that just, you know, and God would never become someone who would ask something of you that would be difficult or who would step on your toes or mess with your vision and your pursuits. Instead, he becomes just a very safe picture of God who's, who's kind of our, our friend and our buddy and he, he hangs on the fringes hoping we'll pay some attention to him. And when we do, he is overjoyed. And when we don't, he really just wants us to be happy. And we don't persevere, we don't endure, we don't overcome because our vision of God is so small and the reality of life that we walk through is just so in our face. The letters to the seven churches are written to people who are feeling that attack from the enemy, feeling just the accumulation of distraction and hardship and they're wanting to know how do we endure how do we overcome? So John rejects the vision from the Lord. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Greg Deal, who's a, a commentator who's been helpful for me in Revelation, as he gives interpretive principles for Revelation, one of them is that Revelation is meant to be seen. That the imagery that is, is given to us uses the illustration of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. That's not a new message, but the reason that that captures you is because the way it's told is so vivid and the imagery captures your heart and your mind. So revelation is that, that it's meant to give us an image. It's meant to give us a vision, recover a true vision of God, a true revelation of Jesus Christ that captures your heart and your mind, that returns some of that awe and some of that terror and some of, of, of that real joy and inspires allegiance and joy and that he's worth following. That puts it in perspective, why do I not fear this God and I fear man instead? And so it takes Jesus and it paints this picture for us of a God who is victorious, of a God who is almighty, of a God who loves us and cares for us. And when that really starts to sink in and capture the heart and the mind, that's when we begin to overcome. That's when we, we kind of rise above just the mundane and the drudgery and we see, no, this is what is real. This is what is true, our good and our great God. So that's what Revelation is going to do for us. That's what I, I hope to spend the next week or two doing and then serve that as our basis for the call to the church to overcome, to snap out of it. I mean, if, if there's ever been a time for us, just life, COVID has made like life, just parts of it is drudgery, hasn't it? It's just, 
you, you just walk through it. It's hard to plan. Things just kind of keep piling up. And it's, it's one thing after another. How do I respond? What's my obligation in this relationship? And, and on and on it goes with it. And it just wears you out on top of everything else. And it's not just one thing you can necessarily put your hand on. You just look at it, and at the end, you think, I have so much in front of me to do. The, the Christian faith doesn't feel real and tangible enough, and it just fades to the background. John is going to take it and put Jesus Christ front and center in all of his glory. And hopefully, as a church, we can reshape our focus and our energy around that. There's a few things in these first verses here to just highlight that will help us how we hear the words to the churches of Asia Minor. The seven churches in Asia Minor. It's not Asia as we think of it today. It's in the area of Turkey, just to give you some context. First thing that we see, though, is that in these words to the church, there is a promise of blessing. There is a promise of blessing. You see in verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Let's be honest, a lot of times the reason that we feel sort of the staleness in our soul and, and, and just not the energy to keep going is because we're ignoring the word of the Lord. Where God is pictured for us and described for us, the life-giving word, we're just... We're giving our attention to every other pursuit except the Word, and you're going to dry up when that takes place. And there seems to be, in Revelation, a unique blessing attached to this revelation of Jesus Christ. The book begins with it, it ends with it at the end of Revelation. Again, a promise of blessing to those who hear this, who listen to it, and who apply it in their lives. It's a promise of blessing. More than that, we see it's a promise of blessing to the church right now. Look how it ends. It says, verse 3, again, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. Time is at hand. This is going to be an important phrase through Revelation. Again, our, our focus is not to go through all the way through Revelation. But it becomes an important phrase, and it harkens back to Daniel. The Old Testament prophecies that so much of Revelation is built on, especially in Daniel. And Daniel in chapter 2, is, as this, this vision is given in Nebuchadnezzar, to Nebuchadnezzar, and it talks about here's what will happen. The Son of Man will come in those latter times, in that latter day. And it speaks then of the latter times, the latter day when the Son of Man appears, when the reign of this Son of Man begins. And what John does is he builds on Daniel, but where Daniel looks at the latter days, the, the time that is to come, John takes it and he said, how it says, it is coming soon. It's here. It's right around the corner. And you begin to see that the goalposts of Revelation are Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' returning. And so instead of thinking of Revelation as and that's down the road and trying to determine what time and what church that word might be for. It's for us right now. We are the last day Christians. The, the time is near. It is written to a church that exists in this time. And it's a promise of blessing to these last day Christians. This is a letter to us. 
becomes immediately immediately applicable to us. And then we see that it's a blessing of grace and peace that flows from the Trinity. He goes on, verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before His throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, who rules the kings on earth. Promise is one of grace and peace that flows from the Trinity. I've never settled on a good signature, like a way to end my letters and emails. Some people have really clever ones. For a while, I did SVG for Chile de Aguirre. I just ripped it off of somebody else. But too many people were like, "What are you doing over there? What are you? What are you doing?" So I, I changed it from that, and I tried different things. I have a friend in West Virginia, and his his signature is by him, for him, through him, to him, something else. It's like a whole sermon out there on this, like, you know, it's a little over the top. So in the end, I, I just kind of ended either thanks or often either blessing or bless. And I went, well, if you receive that, first of all, I know you're not studying every word of my email or letter. So if you receive that, you probably don't know it. Let's say you do notice the signature. When you see blessing or bless, at most what registers is, you know, hey, Dan has goodwill to He hopes my day and my week goes well. But when you read it or I write it, in no way am I thinking like, I am assigning blessing to your day. It will happen. I'm procuring this, that you will have a successful day. No, it's just like a, a well wish that, you know, I could have come up with something better, so that's what I said. When grace and peace is promised, but it's promised from the entire Trinity, especially the way that it is explained in Revelation, it's what stands behind it is He is procuring this always and every time for you. Grace and peace will flow to you. It's no well wish. It stands in the sovereign trinity that grace and peace are yours. To the seven churches, grace and peace belong to you. The trinity has secured that for you. And look how it explains the trinity. First, it speaks to the Father. Verse 4, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. Explains God this way. This is not a small God. This is not the God of the self-esteem workshop. This is not my buddy God. This is the eternal, eternal, unchangeable, sovereign God. He sets forth His decrees and nothing will stop those decrees. His purposes always prevail. Who was, who is, and who is to come. And then he moves on to the Holy Spirit. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. The seven spirits are this, but the Holy Spirit. Again, since we're not going every piece of Revelation, it won't develop too much, but seven is an important number in Revelation. You've probably heard this before. A number of perfection or fulfillment or completion. 
fact, you read Revelation, it can sort of be organized around the seven letters and then the seven seals and then the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. And it speaks to completeness, first perfection. It's Isaiah that speaks of the sevenfold spirit of the Lord. And it's the sevenfold spirit of the Lord that will empower the Messiah for his earthly ministry all the way up to his inauguration that he reigns on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. That's the sevenfold spirit. And now, this complete, full spirit, the same spirit that empowers the Messiah in his work to lead him to the throne where he will reign is the spirit that is given to the church, that is given to us in order that we might overcome. The spirit that we are given in order that grace and peace might not just be offered, but might surely be secured for us by God. And then it moves on to the Son. And here it's just going to stop for a long time because this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at the way it describes it. Again, in context, of God calling the church to wake up. You're under attack. Wake up. Overcome. Persevere. Endure. in verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. John, hearkening back to earlier words that he would write about the passion of Jesus Christ, and Christ would stand there in that camp of a trial before Pilate. Pilate would ask him, so you are king? And Jesus answers this, he says, you say that I am a king. It is for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So here you have Jesus as, as both our example and our grounds for us being the witness. He was the witness, the first one who was a witness to the truth all the way to the point of death. And now we're being called to stand firm in our witness to the truth of the gospel. And we have Jesus and His witness as our example, and we have the cross of Christ as our ground, as our hope, as our boast. It goes on. Faithful witness. Secondly, He's the firstborn of the dead. Again, it speaks here of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as the firstborn of the dead, it speaks of it as the first fruit. But it becomes the template once again that His resurrection, His victory over sin, becomes our victory over sin and death. Surely as Jesus rose, we will rise. It inaugurates His kingship. We participate in that. He's the firstborn of the dead. And He's the ruler of the kings on earth. Same thing of kind of saying King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but there's something about the way it's said that just captures it. He's ruler of the kings on earth. Joe Biden is our president by an election of a sovereign country and by constitutionally inaugurating him, setting him in that position. God is our King because He is the one who is and who was and who is to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the ruler of all the universe. All kings, all presidents, all prime ministers, all dictators, whoever it might be, 
They hold their office only by permission of God. He will raise them up and He will bring them down. God sets the boundary of nations. He rises nations up and He brings them down. You remember Psalm 2, when the nations rage and plot and bring their best against the Lord, He laughs. This should change the way I think we look at the news, the way we hear what's going on. Listen to some of these verses. Daniel 2. God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and He sets up kings. Romans 13.1 Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Presidents, kings, prime ministers, maybe God doesn't sit on the throne of their heart, but he is still the king of the universe, and they still answer to him. And he still governs us through them. Just a few thoughts of what this means for us, that Jesus is the ruler of the kings on earth. But the reign of Christ today over the rulers of the earth means that he has the authority to claim citizens from any country, any nation, any race, anywhere. He can claim those citizens, and he does through the power of his gospel. You think that is how the, the Great Commission is set up, isn't it? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, into all the nations. I'm King of King and Lord of Lords over all of us. I will make citizens of whoever I desire to make citizens of. The reign of Christ over kings on earth today means that Jesus will indeed bring all of his saving purposes to pass. That not the promise, Corinthians, that he will reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. Revelation ends that way. 17, 18, the kings and rulers of of the age rise up and make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb is victorious. But specifically, what it means for us, for the church, I feel this point from D.D. Warfield makes this point. He says that finally, the reign of Christ over the rulers of the earth today means that Christ is ordering the world for the good of the church. He's ordering the world for the good of the church. He looks at Ephesians 1. He says, listen here. Ephesians 1.22, God has put all things under His feet, under Christ's feet. Because of His death, because of His resurrection, everything is put under the feet, the authority of Christ. And He has made Him head over all things for the sake of His church. He reigns over everything for the sake of His church. It should influence, that should influence the way we think about whoever's president, whoever is putting authority and power. It's important we do research and go all those things. But in the end, the Lord places that person there for the good of His church. It's not always the safety of His church. It's not always the ease of His church, but it is the good, for the good of His church, which we see in Revelation, is that they endure to the end. And that they join in eternal victory with the Son. 
just being ruler over all the kings of the earth procures that grace and peace for His church. Because even the rulers are in His hand. And then it goes on. And the picture just gets more beautiful. We continue in verse 5. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. King of kings and Lord of lords, this one who could strike a measure of terror and awe and fear into your life. This grand and glorious God, and yet here, He loves us. Perfectly and fully and fully at all times. And that love seen and demonstrated through the giving of His Son, who shed His blood for us. Again, we're called to be overcomers, to be overcome through the blood of the Lamb. He has set us free. The, the idolatry, the sin, the things that capture our heart and attention, the things that pile up in front of us and obscure our vision of God and steal our energy from, from being the light God has called us to be. God freed us from all those things by giving us His Son. Through his blood, he has made us, so we share in some sense of that kingship of Christ, little kings and queens, if you will, belonging to a heavenly kingdom, and he has made us priests. Access to God won by Jesus Christ. We'll talk about Sunday school for a minute. That imagery. One of my favorite pictures in the Bible, the veil torn in two from top to bottom. Access to God, one. We'll see at the end of this little section. When God returns, the verdict is set. It's either sorrow and mourning or it is joy and happiness. God's presence always brings that. The church, Christ is in our midst right now. We'll see that next week. He is in the midst of His candlestick. Jesus is in our midst. The presence of God should mean something to us. Holy, perfect, awe-inspiring, majestic King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who rules kingdoms. Yet He loves us and He cares for us and He has made us free, which means we can have access to the Father. To petition, to to repent of sin, to make requests of the Father, to enjoy His presence, to know Him, and to be known. He has made us kingdom, the kingdom rulers alongside of Him. That picture of those who have gone before, and later in Revelation, as they sit around the throne, agreeing with the decrees of God and of the Lamb, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. And they surround His throne. And then, John breaks into that doxology. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
that God has to us promises here just to continue to help the church to paint a picture of Christ that will help us endure and overcome. Behold, He is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. The return of the Lord is sure because the resurrection of the Lord is sure. The victory has been won. We overcome now because the victory is coming. The consummation, the end. We talked about it in Joel, the valley of verdict, that when He comes, we sang about it, we even heard about it in Psalm 110, Messianic Psalm. The King of kings and Lord of lords, He said He may not sit on the throne of your heart right now, but when He comes, you will see that He is the King of the universe and you will give account to Him. And it says that those who have rejected Him, those who have pierced Him, they wail. They mourn at the time of sorrow at the appearing of the Lord. But do you see the response of the church? Even so, Lord, come. That is victory consummated. That is the final overcoming is when Christ comes. Then He ends. Can't help but build and build and build. Verse eight: I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first, the last. The whole sweep of human history is under God's sovereign care and sovereign control. Who is and who was? Who was? Who is and who was and who is to come? The Almighty, sovereign over His church from the very establishment of it, He was. Right now, as we plod along towards glory, as we are called to endure, to overcome, He is. And He is the one who is to come. Sovereign, majestic. If you think of the Trinity communing within itself in perfect unity, now answering the question for us, how can we persevere through this age? How can we endure in the midst of trial, of tribulation, of trouble, of fallenness, of just all the responsibility and busyness of life that piles up? How do we endure? How do we overcome so that we stand before the Lord, stand before the throne in the end? And we'll have endured and we will know the grace and the peace promises that is promised to us because of Trinity. Know that God is planning that for us. The great I am. That Jesus, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, He has purchased us. He has executed everything necessary for our victory. Now the Spirit is sent out to us. And we're going to be told as the church here what the Spirit has to say. He leads us well. Look forward to seeing. Jesus Christ. One more time here in Revelation 1. We'll get into the letters of this church. The Alpha and Omega. The one who is, and who was, and who is to come. Lord, we love your word. We're thankful for it. Lord, we praise you for the Trinity, the work of the Trinity. Lord, we thank you.
thank you for God who rules and reigns, Lord, and purchased the healing. Lord, who empowered Christ and his messianic mission and now empowers us in our mission here in this church. And Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the resurrection and the life and the ruler over all things, what that means for us. Lord, I pray you would encourage your people. Lord, I pray that through your word, through the time they're spending it, through preaching, through the things you, you, you sing, through prayer, Lord, that you would give them, Lord, not just a word to, to stay away from what is evil and to focus on you, but you would give them a, a greater delight, a, a greater treasure, a more beautiful picture and vision of who God is. Lord, not always faith, not always kind in the way that we would desire it to be kind, Lord, but He is always good and perfect and working majestically for our good and His glory. I invite the worship team back up. Give you just a moment of thoughtfulness and word, Lord, and we'll 